Well, good morning. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Uh, my name is Jessica Eiplecht. I am one of the pastors here, and I have props today, So, which means I'm going to need volunteers in a little while. So I'm just letting you know that ahead of time so you can maybe be readying yourself when that moment arrives. I'm looking at you, front row, because you're probably who I'm calling on. Um, so uh, it is great to be with you. I uh, am pastor to students here, so I spend most of my time with our teenagers in the hangar, which I love. And I also get to lead our uh, Fairfax lead program here, which is for students and adults who are thinking about vocational ministry for a career. And uh, so those are the main hats that I wear. But sometimes I get to come and hang out with all of you on Sunday mornings, which I also love. So uh, it's great to be with you today. Um, So we are, uh, it is, oh, hey. Hang on, two seconds. Um, All right, I'm curious this morning before we get started, how many of you personally, you, uh, either this coming week or next week or the week that we just ended, but you personally, um, either as a student or as a teacher, are going back to school? Just raise your hands nice and high. Everybody, everybody who started a new school year or there's some, yeah, thank you, thank you, started a new school year. Okay, keep your hands up. Um, if you, if there's somebody in your house that is in some way financially dependent on you, maybe they're in college, maybe it's grad school, maybe it's like high school, whatever, but they also started a new school year. So you sent somebody to school. Uh, when you raise your hands to add all of the, the parents and all of the otherwise financially dependent people. Okay, great. The vast majority of us, all right, are in back to school mode. And even if that's not you, uh, so um, I still want to, we're still gonna talk a little bit about back to school today. So, uh, so how did it go? Week one, did it go okay? Went okay, good, good, that's encouraging. One week down, an interminable number of weeks to go. So we got, yeah, great. We, uh, we sent Ella to kindergarten this week. Um, she's going to the public school that's right there in our neighborhood. There's a couple of Fairfax Church people who work there, which uh, was so great to find out. I, I only knew of one, and I found out of at least one more. Um, and so that was very exciting for us. It made my heart just feel so much better to know that our people would be there to keep an eye on her. Um, so uh, hello, if you're here, by the way, watching. Uh, so far, so good on that. I brought a picture of her first day of school. She didn't know I was taking that one. If you follow me on Instagram, then you know what the ones, you've heard the story about uh, what happened for the ones that she did know I was taking, and it was not pleasant for anybody. Uh, And then I have one, I think, of the two of us. Yes, my sweet girl. Um, If you've been around for a while and you're thinking that it is not possible that Ella is in kindergarten because you're like, I remember when you were pregnant with her, same. That's, yes, same. And also, Ella is like five going on 14. And so uh, this also feels like a very long time coming, right? Like, and also I, uh, I've been living and breathing back to school since like April. So the school had all of the new kindergarten parents and new kindergartners come in April for like the back to school night thing, which was great. So wonderful because she's been excited since April, but that also means that I have been living in back to school mode since April and it's exhausting, living and breathing it, all right? So, uh, so even if you're not in back to school mode, maybe, you're like me, 
where uh, it still feels like the fall is when we start like fresh on some things. And maybe it's because we spent all of our foundational years doing back to school when we were growing up, right? That like the fall comes around, the calendar turns to August or to the middle of August or whatever. And it suddenly feels like this urge rises up inside of me for no apparent reason that I need to go to Target and buy new pencils, right? I haven't used a pencil in 15 years but I need pencils around August 15th, every single year for some reason, or paper clips or whatever. Uh, there's just this desire of this like back to school rhythm and I feel this urge to maybe organize my desk, right? Or to get things in order. Does anybody else feel this way? That back to school just seems to take, a, okay, that's a few of you. All right, well, for those of you that are with me, um, we should join a support group or something. So, uh, great. So whether that's you or not, that uh, this morning we're going to talk about kind of that back to school spirit and how it's a great time to uh, maybe take some fresh stock and make some fresh commitments to our faith. Um, and so that's where we are headed today. We are wrapping up this series in the book of James. And today we're going to spend some time in James chapter four, because I think that James maybe has some supplies for us to gather as we think about taking some fresh stock of our faith uh, in this season. So as we talked about every single week, James was the likely brother of Jesus who, based on the stories in the gospel accounts, didn't really believe that the kid that he grew up with uh, and was raised alongside was born to be the savior of the world. Which if you have any siblings, maybe you're like, that's relatable, you know? Like hard to imagine the kid that you like, I don't know, shared a bathroom with or whatever is supposed to be the savior of the world. I understand James' skepticism. I don't fault him that. Uh, but at some point, he becomes a true believer. He, he is all in on the Jesus thing. And so um, we get this letter written sometime fairly early on in the development of the new church and written to the diaspora or to the Jewish people who are living outside of Israel. And the letter is packed. Like if you have been here for the last few weeks, then you know that James does not pull punches. He uses every literary device at his disposal to make his point clearly, and then he moves on. So no one is spared in this letter either. If you can read all five chapters and then walk away feeling like, I'm in pretty good shape, I don't feel convicted by 25 different things at all, then I would like to talk to you after the service because everyone, everyone is get, God has something. James has a word for everyone, including me in this book. And this is just as true in chapters four and five as it was in the first three, so much so that even the ending of this letter is a little bit weird. Like if you've skipped ahead and read the last bit of James chapter five, then you know that like, I don't know if he ran out of time or out of papyrus, or if like we just lost the last bit of the letter, but he kind of has this like mic drop moment and then it just ends. There is no sincerely James or anything like that at the end of the letter. It's like he finishes giving all these teachings that he's been thinking. It's like he finishes giving all the teachings and he looks up and he's like, what are you all still doing here? Go, go do it, go, right? So it just like ends super abruptly. Uh, but nestled into this letter are these few verses that while I wouldn't say that they're a departure from the rest of the letter, I found them to be speaking to my soul as I prepared for this week. And as I read them, they were just what my back to school heart needed to hear. And so I wanted to spend some time with them today in hopes that God might speak to your soul as well. Uh, whether you're in that season or not. 
So chapter four begins with James trying to show people how dumb their fights are, that they're rooted in selfishness and greed and envy, and that we are prone to love the world. And by that, James is referring not so much to the people who live on the world or even to the creation of the world, but James is referring to those things that are ethically opposed to God and are saying that your disputes and your conflicts are because you love those things that are ethically opposed to God over and above your love for God. And, uh, and then in verse five, we read this. Or do you suppose that scripture is meaningless? Doesn't God long for our faithfulness in the life God has given to us? And then, everyone read these next few verses with me out loud in chapter six. But God gives us more grace. Just let those words wash over you for a minute before we move on. Before we even read the rest of the verse, I just want you to breathe in these words from Holy Scripture. But God gives us more grace. Another translation says, but God gives greater grace. Or this one, and God gives grace generously. Grace on grace on grace. Greater grace, generous grace. This grace denotes the limitless kindness and mercy of God that is freely given to human beings undeserved. Let me say that again. The greater grace, the even more grace that God is offering. The greater grace denotes the limitless kindness and mercy of God that is freely given to human beings undeserved. The grace that makes up the difference when we fall short. The grace that demonstrates the favor and blessing of God on your life in ways you can't explain and don't deserve. God gives us more grace. And so to the one who has fallen short this week, to the one who feels as though there is not enough of you to go around, to the one who left things undone, to the one who let someone down, to the one who let himself down, to the one who let herself down, to the one who feels as though you poured out all that you have and you come today empty. God gives us more grace. And to the one who has been unfaithful to God, our first love, to the one who has longed for something that they don't have or been jealous for something they can't get, who has wasted what God has given them, who like the prodigal son in the gospel of Luke is certain that he is no longer worthy to be called his father's son. You are certain you are no longer worthy to be called God's. Listen to these words again, but God gives us more grace. Grace is not the same as forgiveness. Grace makes demands of us. It forms us as it forgives us. Just as the parent who says words of blessing and favor over their child over the course of a lifetime forms that child, and just as those blessings and words of favor form the heart and the character of that child, so God's generous, limitless mercy and kindness on your life should be and is changing and transforming you, your heart, your character. We who think we can never be good enough, smart enough, successful enough, the grace of God says to us over and over and over again, you are enough for me. 
So let Jesus lighten your burden this morning. Let your heart be restored. Before we go any further, may you grab onto the truth that God is enough, that God's grace is enough, that there is more. When you need more, there is more. When your struggles are great, God's grace is greater. When you are insufficient, God is generous and God gives greater grace. Let's press on. But God gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, uh, therefore, James says, And he sort of, kind of, quotes Proverbs 34 next to remind us that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And you know those pesky little transition words in scripture that uh, are words like therefore, and we wanna like speed read past them and hope that they don't mean anything, but they always seem to. Well, this is one of those words. And so, so they're there, they're always there on purpose. The CEB translation, will you put the passage back up on the screen for me? The CEB passage, so that we can see it, says, uh, but God gives all the more grace, therefore, in the CEB translation it says, this is why it says, the reason the Proverbs thing is quoted there, this is why this thing down here says this, is because of this first thing up here. God gives all the more grace. This is why it says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, that the two are connected, that the grace of God is connected to the humility of our hearts. And so now James is going to give us the path of humility. The path is lined by these next five directives. You can, sorry, just keep it, just keep it, just keep it up there for a little while. So you can see them in there. Uh, Submit yourselves therefore to God. And then the next one, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there's five of them. Now you can go forward. I'm sorry, Jan. I'm just, I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. You can, the next five are right there. It's submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse your hearts, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. This is our five directives of the path to humility. So we're gonna walk through these a little. We're gonna unpack them. The first one is submit yourselves to God. And this is the foundation of all the rest. Submission is an act of humility. The kind of humility that we're talking about is the kind that is found when you lay your will and your dreams and your goals and your hopes and your circumstances and all the ways that you've achieved and all the ways that you uh, have been you. You lay all of that at the feet of Jesus and you say, not mine, yours. Not my will, yours be done. Not my dreams, your dreams. Not my goals for my life, your goals for my life. I may not want what you want, God, but I can trust you that what you want is what is best for me. And so not mine, yours, all of it. Submit it all to God, your whole selves. And then the second one and the third one are are tied together. Resist the devil and draw near to God. And I think in order to illustrate what I think James is saying here, I'm going to need a couple of volunteers. So three of you, Join me, I don't care which three. Uh, welcome our students. The, uh, well, two students and one smarter leader. 
Victoria, Anna, and Nico. Um, and I really think that there's really only one obvious choice. <laughs> I'm kidding. Nico was wearing a hat, so that felt, that didn't feel, uh, but, all right. Anna, you get to be God in a bathrobe because Jesus, right? Right? Okay. And don't mind that it has my husband's monogram. You didn't know that God was KPU, but God is. Uh, okay, so, and then, uh, okay, so you stand over here, and then Anna, you come over here to be God, and you just get to be you. You just get to be Nico, slash all of us, or at the very least, the, uh, the 12 tribes scattered outside of Israel, right? So you just get to be you. Um, now, since you know each other, uh, I don't feel so bad about this, but I want you to join hands so that Nico is kind of in the middle, and you're all, you're, yeah, just... But then now I need you to pull Nico each direction. So both of you, yeah, you're pulling him, right? And, and put, get, a, get into it a little bit. Show me a little effort, a little enthusiasm. Because this is what we do, right? We are, we are Nico. And we feel like there's these opposing forces in our lives, right? That there's the, the forces of evil and there's the forces of God. And in our heads... We're like, they feel equal. I feel like I'm being pulled in two directions. Let me be clear that the force of God and the forces of evil, they're not equal forces, right? God is more powerful than the devil. That is no question. But we justify our waffling, like Nico is waffling, we justify it in our heads that we're being pulled in two directions and we feel helpless. We feel like we can't do anything about it. And what James is saying is, no, that is not true. You can resist the devil and his schemes, and you can oppose what the devil is doing. And so you can, you can cut this tie right here, and you can, the passage says you can resist, you can oppose, which means you turn away from the devil and his schemes, and then you do what? You draw near to God. And what happens? <laughs> what happens when you resist the devil is that the devil will flee here, hang on, hang on, I need these back, and you can go, right? But when you draw near to God, God draws near to you, is what it says, right? Okay, you can thank them as well. Oh yeah, thank you, I need that back. So, most of us find ourselves somewhere in the middle, but we don't have to be. It's no small thing that when we, that we can and when we do choose to resist the devil, that the devil flees. And that when we choose to draw near to God, that God draws near to us. That the God of the universe draws near to us. But we have to be done flopping around in the middle. James is calling us double-minded. Saying, decide, which way are you gonna go? which leads us to our final two directives. Assuming that you said that you want to draw near to God, nearness to God changes us, it transforms us. And so we cannot be near God without experiencing the cleansing, the purifying work of God in our lives. And the nearer we get to God, the more we draw near to God, the closer we get to who God is, the more God cleanses and purifies and reveals things about us that are not, uh, are not of God. And so that cleansing and the purifying work continues as we continuously draw near to God. In the way of Jewish worship that James and his audience are most familiar with, there were ritualistic cleansings that you had to do before you could approach God in worship. And James is simply borrowing that language 
but using it to remind us that it's not just our hands that need cleansing, but our hearts as well. That drawing near to God does not mean we stay as we are. It means we allow the work of Jesus to transform and cleanse and purify us, sinners that we are. And this is the path of humility. Humility means allowing God to cleanse us and purify us because it takes humility to admit the ways in which we are not like God. It takes humility to admit that there are things about us that need to change and that we need God to change them about us. Those things take humility. It means drawing near to God and approaching God in prayer and worship and resisting the force that would draw us in the other direction. And all of this is under this foundation of submission to God. That all of us is being submitted to God, is, is being, uh, the Greek word for submit yourselves here is hypotasso, which means to place or arrange under, to bring order to. So all of this, we submit to God. So you've probably, in one way or another, arranged some things in your life over these last few weeks. You've probably tried to bring some chaos, to bring some order, sorry, to bring some order into the chaos of your life. Maybe it's a new strategy to try to get everyone out the door on time. Or maybe it's a new meal plan that you're trying to see if you can make that dinner hour just a little bit easier on everyone. Or maybe it's uh, a kid who started a new sport and you're trying to get settled into that new rhythm. Or maybe you're teaching a grade that you've never taught before or a class you've never taught before. Maybe nothing has changed about your day in, day out life, but like me, you can't resist the school supplies section and you get inspired to rearrange your desk or your office or just your junk drawer or whatever, but you are in a mode of arranging things in this season. And my point is, in the midst of all the new strategies and plans and carpools and sharp colored pencils, let's take these moments to also look at how things are arranged in our life with Jesus. Who or what are you drawing near to in this season? There's lots of ways that you can draw near. It simply means to approach, to turn toward, to get closer. And you can tell a lot by about what or who matters to you by observing where you are drawing near. So I want to spend our remaining time this morning just on this question, because I think that it brings into focus what James is addressing here today. To whom are you drawing near in this new season? In the midst of whatever else you have going on, are you choosing to draw near to God? Are you taking a look at the way that your prayer life is arranged? Are you choosing to draw near to God in worship? Are you choosing to draw near to God in your study of God's word and your commitment to a new small group? Are you ready today to stop being pulled in two directions and to draw near to God by having time with God, by allowing yourself to be transformed by God? Are you ready to make that choice afresh today? And also, who or what else are you drawing near to? As the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, are you being deliberate in this season about what you will resist and what you will draw near? On Wednesday of this week, I got a phone call from our best friends, a couple. And they've been my friends since 2006. And uh, when Kevin and I got married, he adopted them. And, um, and so we are very close. And when Kevin and I were ready to move from our itsy-bitsy townhouse into something that had room 
for us to grow our family, we made a deliberate decision that we wanted to live close to them. And so, uh, so we, the house that we live in now is seven minutes from their house. And, uh, you know, in this town, we might as well be next door neighbors if we're only seven minutes away. So, uh, so we, we made this decision because we wanted, together with them, we wanted to be each other's people. We wanted to be the people that we called in whatever, in joy and in the sorrow, right? And uh, between, we've, between the two couples, there's been three new babies since then, and COVID, and, uh, and kids growing up, and pets who have died, and so we've been given lots of opportunities to make good on that, including this week. There was a family emergency, and uh, family was far away, and so one of them needed to go, and the other one needed to stay, but it was all hard and sad and awful. And so she called to tell me, and uh, we did the only thing that we could do. We went over. That night, as soon as we were all home, um, we just showed up, all four of us, and added to the chaos of all of them. And honestly, uh, I don't think that we were all that helpful. (laughs) We just, we had dinner together, we did the dishes, the kids played. We didn't really have time to talk about what had happened or to game plan about what they were gonna do or to strategize. We didn't even leave with a plan for how I was going to help next. We were just there in it for a few hours with them just to try to help carry the load, to give her just a little bit of breathing room that night, to be near the people we love. And if we didn't live seven minutes away, it probably wouldn't have made sense but we do, so it did. Sometimes I need to draw near to those that I love most just because I need to lay eyes on them. I just need to see for myself that they're okay. I just need to see for myself that they're not okay. I need to, you would think, I remember uh, when my, one of my other best friends was pregnant and uh, she went into labor and I could not get to the hospital fat. You would have thought I was the doctor who was gonna deliver that baby because I needed to lay eyes on her to make sure she was okay. So sometimes I just need to see the people that I love to draw near to them in that way. And sometimes our mere presence can be a comforting balm on the people that we are close to. Sometimes we draw near because just our our presence can comfort their hurting hearts. Sometimes I draw near because I don't know what I can do to help until I've shown up and gotten into the mess with them. So who are you drawing near to in this season? What are you drawing near to in this season? And it doesn't have to be your physical presence or a relationship that we're talking about here. Maybe you're drawing near with the other resources that God has given you with your talent, with your time, with your finances. Maybe you can draw near by allowing those things to be used by God in our church and in our community. Or maybe it's something completely different. Maybe in this season, you need to draw near to healing in a way that you've seen coming for a long time and you've known that you needed to start the counseling or the therapy, but in this season, it's time for you to draw near to that, to move towards the healing that you know you need. Or maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your marriage that you need to draw toward, that you need to draw near to, that that you've known for a long time that you needed to put some energy into that relationship, but things have been busy, it's gotten lost in the shuffle, but in this season, It's time to draw near to the person that you've made a lifetime commitment to in a way that you maybe haven't lately. Or maybe you're drawing near to recovery as you finally deal with an addiction in your life and you've known it and you've known it's been a problem, but it's time. 
It's time for you to draw near. It's time maybe for you to draw near to Sabbath. Maybe it's time for you to get real in a countercultural way about resisting the busyness of this area and to put rhythms of rest and renewal in your weekly life in an intentional way. And so maybe what you need to draw near towards is Sabbath. I don't know what it is. The list could go on and on. But as you draw near to God, and as God draws near to you, what in your life is deserving of your attention, of your energy, and of your resources? And may it be that we are a church that draws near to the brokenhearted, that we are a church that draws near to the messiness of other people's lives, not because we think we can fix it, but because we know the one who can. May it be that we are a church who places ourselves fully under the submission of God, who resists the devil and draws near to our generous God in prayer and in worship, who allow ourselves as a church to be cleansed and purified in prayer and worship by God's goodness and by God's generous grace. And may it start with us and may it start today. Draw near to God, church, right now in these moments, before you go anywhere, because God is here in this place, and this is holy ground. Will you stand with me as we pray? God, you are so generous to us. More and more grace. When we fall short and when we don't have it, you come through with limitless favor and mercy. And so God, as we take stock of where we are, as we arrange our lives in this season and all of the practical and necessary ways that we have to. God, I just pray that we wouldn't let these moments pass without also choosing to place ourselves in your submission to you and to draw near to you in whatever ways you're calling us to. God, as we sing these last two songs, may we worship you with our whole hearts whether that's on our feet or on our knees or in our seats, whether it's with our hands in the air, whatever it is that we need to do, might these be moments where we draw near to you. And then may we take this and may it be made manifest in our lives as we go out. We thank you for who you are for the ways you love us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.